Well, welcome to the Tom and Dave Show. Um, episode 9? Episode 10? I think 11, actually. Like, legitimately 11. 11. We are comfortably into double digits now, uh, no matter how you look at our episode numbering. Uh, the season continues going on. Uh, Donovan Mitchell does not give a fuck what Shaq thinks about his game, which I love. And Dave, you're back in Boston. Yes, I am. I'm happy to be back. I was just telling you, Tom, I have a new setup here. I have a new desk, new external monitor, new desk chair. I am feeling very uh, liberated right now. It's, it's exciting. Uh, I'm happy for you. It's, the mobility I have in my room is it's unprecedented. <laughs> exciting things for Dave Shackle. He's adding things to his podcasting game. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah. We're um, seeing you mature as a player. <laughs> um, so today we uh, wanted to just kind of figure out a way to talk about the season so far. So we thought we'd just both come up with a few observations about teams, players, anything really um, to talk about. We have not told each other what we're going to talk about, so there's a little surprise element here too, which is fun. Yeah. Um, Tom, before you start talking about any of your observations, how did you go about like p- picking these? Picking my observations? Yeah. Uh, so I was watching basketball, as I am one to do, um, and it was, I think we've talked about how, like, doing this show has kind of directed us more when we're watching games, as opposed to being just like, huh, well, there's, you know, let's just watch the flow of the, like, we have certain things we're looking out for more, and so it's kind of trying to see, like, what pops out at me that isn't something I'm already looking for. Um, like, I don't know, where you look up and it's like, ah, oh, you know what, like, Montrez Harrell has scored the last three times down the court because they've gotten him on guard. That's a preview for one of my observations. Um, But yeah, so it's just like something where it was like, you know what? I didn't tune into this game looking for that. But as I've sat here watching it, this continues to be something that I'm seeing on a possession-by-possession basis. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, How do you think? I, I wouldn't say I did the exact same thing, but similar were things I was looking for um, that we've kind of talked about on this show, but I also was you'll see a theme here of um, some players and teams that I think um, might have been unfairly maligned and who uh, uh, are all performing well. I uh, my um, basketball I'll, I'll, I'll say it first, my basketball um experience for this season has not been great because of how depressing the Heat have been playing. Um, so to make up for that today, all three of my observations are positive. So what you're saying is all three of your observations are not Heat observations. You're right. Um, a team I, we're making a point to not talk about on this We're episode. not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about them. Um, we're not going to talk about the fact that they're underperforming. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to get into it, but I won't. No. no, we are we are intentionally avoiding discussion of the fact that the Miami Heat are currently under five hundred, uh, multiple games behind the New I, York Knicks and out of a playoff spot. We're not going to talk about it. This is true, but I, I will just like to add for the fans at home, um, and for anyone who is like trying to pay close attention to basketball this year, I I would like to I would really like to go into the numbers on this. But I'm not sure if there's been a team more impacted by the COVID stuff and the protocols and players having to sit out for those things than the Heat. Um, okay. Well, so, who's missing teams on that team? 
What'd you say? Who's missed games on that team due to uh, <clears throat> health and safety protocols? Tom, last week we played two games uh, against the Sixers uh, without Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Goran Dragic, Avery Bradley, Kendrick Nunn, Mo Harkless, um, and Casey Akpala. Um, oh, God. We played uh, 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 Gabe Vincent has played, I think, 25-plus minutes in the last five games now. Handsome Gabe. Um, and I know we said we weren't going to talk about the Heat, but now I'm feeling defensive. We're in it now. Like um, the gates are open. Jimmy Butler Avery, and Avery Bradley have now not played for almost two weeks. Um, Jimmy good. Butler has only played six of our 14 games this year. Yeah. Um, and one of those games he left early, it was the Christmas game. Uh-huh. One of those games he was kind of recovering from an yeah. injury. And one of those games he got injured. So, yeah, can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. Because health and safety protocols, you're apparently not allowed to work out. Yeah. Like, in fashion either. As a Heat fan, like a team, a fan of the Heat who went to the finals last year and got, like, what, eight weeks off? Yeah. Is there some part of you, and obviously I'm not saying getting coronavirus is good, because it's not. We are an anti-coronavirus podcast. To be fair, we don't know if any of those guys got it. We just know they're in health and safety protocols. It could just be for contact tracing. And that's an ambiguous enough term that, like, I think the NBA named it health and safety protocols to kind of, like, hand wave away the COVID part of it to be like, ah, it's health and safety. It could be anything. Yeah. Um, But is there some part of you that's like, you know what? Jimmy's getting some rest because of this. Like, we don't know if he had COVID, Mm -hmm. but he's getting, what, like, two weeks of this or a week plus at this point of of rest yeah he's getting a lot of he's getting a lot of rest and i'll be honest with the injury problems the covid problems that we've had and the general inconsistency that started the year with like just some new rotation pieces we didn't know how to figure out yet the fact that we're only the fact that we're six and eight i've sort of turned myself around and i'm like we could theoretically be like three and eleven right now. You'd be a lot worse than six and eight at this point. So yeah. six and eight with the inconsistencies we had and the absurd amount of players missing games, and the absurd amount of minutes that guys like uh, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Struess are getting, who after you know one good game from both of them have really fallen back down to earth of why yeah. they are fifteenth men. Um. And yeah, so that's 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 all I'll say on the Heat. I actually feel okay about them just because we haven't we've barely seen the team in the games that the full team yeah. has played. We're three and one, so I'm gonna hold that, uh, hold on to that, and just hope that we can roll off a you know six or seven game win streak when everyone's back, and then we're back in business. I like it. I like that line of thinking. And like I don't know, I think this season's gonna be, believe it or not, this season will probably be weird. Yeah. In some ways. Um, but, like, I do think it's going to be a season where, like, you could see, like, a seven seed winning around one matchup just because it's like, oh, yeah, like, I don't know. The Heat had Jimmy Butler out for most of the year because of health and safety protocols. Now, all of a sudden, they're facing, like, the Sixers who were weirdly healthy and good all year. And it's a winnable series for them because everyone's back. Yeah. But we saw it with Portland last year as an eight seed against, like, a buzzsaw Lakers team. Where it was like, oh, okay, yeah, like, Portland had a lot of injuries this year. But when you get into a series at full strength, all of a sudden, like, they're they're better than an eight seed. 
Oh, yeah. So, I don't um, think Sin, we're a seven-game win streak away from being in the playoff picture is a necessarily bad place to be right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even in the playoff picture, we're only like a couple, like a three-game win streak away from it because of, yeah. or a two-game win streak away because there's like so few teams in the East right now that are even above 500. So it's yeah. not even that worrisome in that sense. Um, but yeah, I do think um, some Heat fans are being a little apocalyptic with some of this. Um, there is a very, and I don't like what I just said, there's a very realistic world in which we get our guys back and we have a favorable schedule and we're able to roll off five or six in a row and then we're, you know, two games over 500 and it's like, okay, who yeah. who cares about those first 15 games, you know? How are we ever worried? Yeah. I will say, though, that the next four games for the Heat are uh, two against Brooklyn, one against the Clippers, and one against Denver. So <laughs> might be looking at a four-game losing streak here, but... It could be rough for them for a bit. Um, On to our observations. Tom, what was your first observation? My first observation is that I like Montrez Harrell playing next to AD and LeBron. Yeah. Like, I think that's been kind of a, a boogeyman rotationally for them for a lot of this year. Like, I know Zach Lowe has made a huge deal of, like, I don't know where Montrezl Harrell fits on this team. Like, I don't think you can play him alongside their best players. But, like, I don't know. Watching... Watching that Lakers Bucks game the other night, like it was, it was interesting to see because like most teams aren't employing like two conventional bigs, but offensively, Trez kind of functions as a big. And so, like, the Bucks would draw Brooke out to the three point line, and the Lakers would basically buy possessions with AD as just like a spot up wing three spot. And then be like, all right, yeah, now we'll just run a post up for Montrez because he's got a guard on him. Like there were times where it was like Montrez is posting up Pat Connaughton. Um, and so like, I don't think, I think it's like kind of an unconventional, like we can buy some rest for AD and LeBron here without actually like pushing them to the bench. Where it's just like, all right, yeah, for a couple minutes, they're not going to be like engineering or like driving offensive possessions. Like it'll be, some sort of like Montrez post up or like a, a pick and roll with Trez diving and like AD and LeBron can kind of spot up for a minute. Um, and I think that's effective. I think that's like a valuable change of pace for them to have. Um, I do wonder as we get deeper into this season, if we see more of that conventional, like Schroeder and Montrez running a bench unit uh, thing that was advertised so much because for as much, like for as much as it has been, starting Schroeder this season so far I think like the original logic for that signing was yeah he'll be their sixth man and he hasn't been yet um so I think as we I wonder if as we get deeper into the season it'll be more of the if we'll get more of like what the Lakers rotation is going to be in a playoff series as opposed to right now being we're starting Schroeder Travis comes off the bench and we never really get like that full full bench unit Dave, I'm very sorry. Your audio is not coming through. Sorry, my mic was muted. Um, yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, that's a good observation. Um, I think, you know, we're always going to... There's going to be a time... There's going to be games where Montrez does get killed on defense. That's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think about... Um, a little sneak preview to um, one of my observations. Um, 
but if you know you play a team that is pick and roll heavy for yeah. example like the jazz um you know clarkson mitchell conley could kill um uh trez off the dribble if they get him right. caught in a bunch of pick and rolls in a row um team like that be a problem for him what'd you say even like a denver could be a problem denver uh portland teams like that teams with really yeah. good guards that can drive um and that play a lot of pick and roll like they're gonna he's gonna get hurt but yeah i mean the offensive option of trez is like in those mismatches he's like an automatic two points like yeah and it feels like i don't know i trust vogel to try to figure out what is the ideal we talk, we've talked about this a few times what is like with these big men that are really good scorers but might get played off the court in a playoff rotation with a bad matchup you have yes. to find like the perfect balance of like what's the most we can get off of get from them on offense without getting killed on defense and yep. probably just like you know when are you plus two or plus four before you end up being minus 10 with him out there um, yeah and i trust vogel to try to figure that out Especially because, like, I don't know. Re- like, there's a world where Trez is realistically their third big. And so, like, any like if you get into a playoff series with him, you could almost look at it as, like, yeah, whatever positive minutes he gives us are kind of just house money because, like, we know we can fall back and say, all right, we'll play Gasol and AD down the stretch or we'll just play AD and no other big down the stretch, which I think we might actually wind up seeing a bit more of this off, uh, this season going forward. But, yeah, no, I think, like, if any team is going to be able to find the exact right balance of how much Montrez can we run, it would be the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you mentioned that thing about AD, like, that was kind of something that they did do last year where Vogel did this whole, you know, two big experiment all year. We're yeah. going to do Davis with Dwight and Davis with JaVale. Um J- almost as if he was hiding this just Davis at the five situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you go to the Rocket series where Rockets are playing smaller. You know, JaVale and Dwight are kind of unplayable. And then yeah. you lose that first game. And then immediately Vogel goes to Davis at the five and then they just kill him for four straight games. Um, it's like and, a Robert Covington at the five? That's cute. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is just a nice weapon to have when, and they didn't lose anything by losing, um, Dwight and, uh, JaVale here because they still have this, you know, Davis at the five in their back pocket for any of small ball matchups. And then they have, you know, Gasol and Harrell for maybe more conventional matchups. And yeah, I mean, man, the Lakers. Gasol is like an upgrade over both Dwight and JaVale. Yeah. I mean... Like, Trez almost feels like a different category unto itself. But, like, for what Dwight and JaVale were doing, Gasol feels like an upgrade. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, And, I mean, just bigger points on this Lakers team. I mean, this team feels like they're kind of coasting and they're 12-4. and I think they have the second-best net rating in the NBA. Like... I, I'm scared about what they're going to look like in the playoffs because I, I just I can't even imagine. I mean, 
because they're still in that like yeah we're tired and figuring out our rotations phase yeah i mean davis, davis is only averaging like 21 points a game <laughs> um and is only like i think he's oh he's second on the team in shots but oh, like yeah. 21 points a game only playing like 32 minutes a game like basically there's like another gear that the lakers can and probably will shift into yeah um you, you mentioned that thing about I'm just curious with Schroeder moving to the bench in some situation. Do you think it would be more like a maybe they bring they start Schroeder, but maybe he yeah. comes out after five minutes and then comes back at the you know to beginning of the second quarter plays with the bench or a literal he is coming off the bench situation. I think if they do wind up doing like a Schroeder moving into bench units thing, it will be some version of like the like a guard version of that Celtics Aaron Baines thing where it's like, yeah, sure, he'll start, but five minutes in, he's moving to the yeah. bench. Like, where that's, you start like a Wes Matthews and then it's five minutes of him and then you bring in Schroeder or you start like KCP and Caruso. That's probably a more realistic version of it. And then five minutes in, Caruso's going to the bench and we're bringing out Schroeder and then he's starting the second quarter. Yeah. Um, I just, I wonder what the stagger winds up being there. Because, like, I don't foresee a world where it's, like, a an either-or. Like, yeah, LeBron comes off, Schroeder's on. Because I just – I think LeBron likes playing with Schroeder. But I think it might, like – it might help them keep some juice in the LeBron-less lineups mm-hmm. if Schroeder's in all of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think both of our conclusions here are just kind of, like – Lakers are good, dude. Yeah. They're just as good as I think everyone thought they would be, and they're not even trying as hard as they could be. So, uh, so what was your first observation, Dave? Um, so slightly change, slight change of pace here. Um, we're going from you know maybe the best team, top two team in the NBA, um, and you know one of their key bench players to, right? I believe the worst team in the A NBA. Oh no. Um, the Detroit Pistons. Um, but I want to talk about um, the improvement of Jeremy Grant. That enhanced offensive role? Yes. Jeremy? Enhanced offensive role, Jeremy Grant, who so far through 15 games this year, um, you know, Jeremy bet on himself over the summer. Everyone made fun of the Pistons for paying him that much. Everyone made fun of Jeremy Grant. We made fun of Jeremy Grant a little bit for saying that he wanted a bigger offensive role. I think we made fun of the Pistons for saying, like, yeah, you should have a bigger offensive Yes, you're right. We didn't make fun of Jeremy. Um, but we were throwing jokes out into the world. Yes. Like, regardless of the target. We were on the joke train on this. We sure were. And, Tom, i got to say, I think if Jeremy Grant can keep this up, um, we... I think that contract's going to be a bargain. Hmm. Um, so Tell I went to a. Fo- What'd you say? Tell me about Jeremy Grant's Yeah. Skills. What's the one that's making us eat this crow? So I, I went to. Uh, I watched a lot of highlights. Went to a, kind of a deep dive in his numbers here. Just really curious what he's changed. And, you know, I've, I haven't done this type of deep dive in an improving player um, that often. So I don't know if some of these are unprecedented. But some okay. of these improvements are kind of absurd. Um, so just like counting stats stuff. You know, obviously he's playing a lot more. He's playing 10 minutes more a game. He's averaging 13 more points, uh, a few more rebounds, a few more assists. 
Um, right now he's averaging 25, 6, and 3 and a steal and a block. Um, uh, his efficiency is 46 field goal percentage, 40% from 3, and 85% from the line. The crazy part about those numbers, I mean, all those numbers are crazy, but yeah. he's had a 10 percentage point increase in free throw percentage this year. That's nuts. Um, which is very odd. I have no idea if that's sustainable. Um, yeah. Also, I, yeah, I don't know how much of this is sustainable, but it, there's a lot going on here. Um, some of the some interesting things here. He's playing the three more than ever in his career. Um, that feels weird. Yeah. Uh, it does feel weird, but then, you know, you think about that Pistons lineup that we've joked about a lot. It makes sense. They have a lot of fours, and they have a lot of fives. Um, yeah. So, naturally, Grant gets slid into the three. Um, last year, just to contextualize those numbers, last year he played 83% of his minutes at the four. This year he's only playing 39. Um, his shot distribution so far is looking pretty similar. He's just taking more from, uh, like, every part of the court. Um, but here are some crazy numbers. Tom, I want you to guess last year how many of his three-point attempts were assist assisted. I'm going to guess, like, is this a percentage answer? Yeah. I'm going to guess, like, 81% or something. You're not going to believe this. I didn't believe it when I saw it. Did it I go was... the entire wrong direction on this? Was it actually very low? No, it was 100%. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> Jeremy Grant did not create a shot for himself at all last season. Yeah. His career average is 98%. Um, and this year, it's not that much lower, but it's at 87, which means that he is taking way more threes that he is creating himself. He's taking way more off the dribble threes. He's um, also been in the league for like quite a few years, so like he probably has multiple one hundred percent seasons. In oh, this. no, that's the crazy. I mean, every year he's in the ninety-five or above. Um, yeah. Last year was the only time that was a hundred, um, which I just thought was kind of absurd. That um, is, like, we don't see hundred percent much in basketball. Yeah. Um, his and sorry getting kind of bogged down in the numbers here but there's just so much good stuff um his career two-point assist percentage so just any two-point shots especially last year you know in the nuggets grant got most of his points two points uh you know running cutting putbacks, yeah, yeah. offensive rebounds things like that last year it was 77 percent. this year it's only 57 percent um huh. and so he's got the ball in his hands more yeah, he's got the ball in his hands way more. This one was pretty hilarious, too. He is averaging four times more pull-up shots a game this year. <laughs> so we are seeing a guy who has literally, in his whole career, and all these are well above his career averages, too, a guy who yeah. has like never done anything like this ever. <laughs> in our, in our history, in like, his last six years of the NBA. He's been here for a while. Yeah. It might be seven years. I'd have to double check. This is not like a year three leap, though. Um, and he's also, last year, he averaged 0.71 dribbles per touch. This year, he's averaging 1.5. This is a guy who, you know what this really made me think? Yeah. How many role players are there in the NBA 
that have this in them. <laughs> that actually have this, like, okay, they have this skill set that we didn't even know about. Um, I watched the Pistons play... One of the reasons I talked about this, I watched the Pistons play the Heat twice this week. Um, Jeremy Grant is, like, is their go-to option. Um, yeah. He's really making up for the... I mean, the Pistons are still bad, but he's really making up for the, like, horrible season that Blake Griffin's having so far. Right. Um, and Grant is just scoring from all three levels. Um, he's a consistent three-point shooter. He's got a nice mid-range game now. He is still just as athletic as ever and got so many, um, got a lot of points on, like, back cuts and, like, backdoor dunks, things like that. Um, and their net rating with him on the court is plus 16. Um, problem is is that they are minus 16 with him off the court. Um, so... It's really just like if he's there, they're gonna stay in a game. The Pistons go exactly as far as Jeremy Grant takes them. Yeah, and I think this is exactly what Grant wanted, and I just think after a summer of so—I mean, it wasn't the summer—a fall free agency period <laughs> of so much Jeremy Grant slander, so much like what are the Lost Pistons it. doing giving him this contract? We have seen a guy who has like unlocked a million different levels of his game um and yeah he's on a bad team um and he's kind of given the reins of the offense at this point um but i still think this is really impressive i'm very happy for jeremy if he keeps this up like i said i think 20 million a year is going to be a bargain for him especially if he especially if he keeps up those efficiency numbers yeah um and on top of that you know grants a exceptional like off ball help defender and he's that's not going anywhere Um, like he hasn't gotten a lot worse at that yeah so yeah i mean yeah just all positive things to say about jeremy grant here um really happy for how well he's playing and you know you see a lot of instances of nba players betting on themselves and it not working out and here's an example of him It, it it is working out for him um yeah maybe he just probably a part of him that wishes he was on a better team. Um, but I, I think this is impressive. I mean, the Pistons are a bizarre team. They are absolutely a few veterans and then a bunch of 20 year olds. Yeah. Um, no mid, no middle, uh, middle ground there. Yeah. No middle ground. Um, and lots of guys who can't shoot. Um, it's a very odd team. I say that despite the fact that we the Heat did split the series with them, <laughs> um, which was a bit disappointing. But um, yeah, uh, that was my first observation. I uh, just really liking what Jeremy Grant's doing, and his some of those numbers are just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> that is, yeah, no, that is shocking. Like, but I don't know. It does kind of shine a light on how much context dictates what these players do. Like, yeah. last year, Jeremy Grant was purely, like, not 3 and D, but definitely, like, peripheral offense and D guy. Yeah. Whether he, that's, like, screen and dive or just stand in the corner. Yeah. Stand in the corner, get some three, get some open threes. Um, if Jokic is at the high post, like, cut in from the corner, yeah. try to get a dunk. Like, that was pretty much how he scored last year. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, he was, there were not a lot of plays called for Jeremy Grant. No, there are none. And I just find it amazing that this guy is now, like, dribble and driving to the hoop and, like, yep. 
made some turnaround jumpers against the Heat. Like, again, the biggest thing here for me was, like, obviously there's no way to know this, but who else in this league is, like, actually being very constrained by their role in a way? Um, I'm going to tell you right now, for some reason, the player that came to mind when you asked this was Terrence Ross. Oh. Like, in my... Because every time you watch the Magic, he's, like, the one player that's actually, like, getting his own shot, like, creating things in a half-court setting. Like, I... Some part of my mind is, like, yeah, you put Terrence Ross on a bad enough team, he's scoring 20 points a night easy. Oh, I could definitely see that. Terrence Ross is one of those guys that, like... I feel like almost every NBA Twitter community uh, that, like, isn't the Magic always, like... Yeah, they all, like... Every time they play the Magic, they're just like, what? Like, Terrence Ross just turns into, like, you know, I don't know what would be a good comp for him, but, like, this automatic scorer yeah. in so many games. He kills the Heat. He just kills the Heat every game. <laughs> it's. I think it's because, like, the Magic are usually bad enough in a half-court setting that, like, any time one of them does a competent thing, it's like, wait, who the hell is this guy? Um. Uh, Fun thing here, Tom. Do you want to guess how long Terrence Ross has been on the Magic? I'm gonna guess like six years. Okay, you're you're close. It's five. I thought it was like less than that. Um, I didn't realize no, he's been there for a long time. Yeah, he was in. Um, I forget what trade sent him there. Uh, let me see. This isn't that. Was he in that big like six team deal? Oh, he was how the Raptors got Ibaka. Really? Yeah. Traded by the Toronto Raptors with a 2017 oh, yeah. pick. Magic was a free agent, didn't he? Yes. The very memorable Serge Ibaka Magic tenure. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Tom, what was your second observation? Uh, yeah, my second observation was just that, like, Okay, so I think that we are in the wake of the James Harden trade. Uh, I'm gonna do like our, like that kind of like, we're gonna be having the co- the Harden conversation now. I'm gonna have like that sort of broach the topic gently. Um, but like in the wake of the Harden trade, I feel like we've kind of, like a lot of people who talk about basketball have been like, well, they're gonna create problems for themselves. Like we don't know, there's only one ball. And like, we've been trying to manufacture these holes to poke in the nets but we've been doing it in terms of like the really good players that they do have are going to create the problems i don't think those are the problems we need to be talking about but i do think there is a problem we need to be talking about and i think it's that like the interior defense of this team is gonna be bad like in, in the four games they've played since the Harden trade um Mind you, that Harden trade also was the trade that sent Jared Allen away from this team. Two of those games were against the Cavs. One was the Magic, and I think the other one was the Bucks. Uh, in the four games since then, they've been averaging almost 10 points more per game allowed in the paint. Um, they have the third worst defensive rating in the NBA, a 119 points per 100 possessions D rating. In, in the league over the last four games or in the season? Since those four games. Okay. In those four games, they have a 119 defensive rating. Um, 
And they are, they are a team that like, as much as we want to talk about like, oh yeah, they have the disabled player exception for um, Spencer Dinwiddie tearing his ACL. They have uh, the mid-level exception they haven't used yet. Like they're still a team that's going to, that like, they don't really have another defensive big man just besides DeAndre Jordan. Like we can talk about what's his name, the rookie big who they've been playing quite a bit. Um, we can talk about like Jeff Green as a Reggie Perry. Reggie Perry. Hmm. Reggie Perry? Reggie Perry. Yeah, Reggie Perry, like number zero, I think, on that team. I only remember because I'll see number zero on that team and be like, who the hell are you? Um, but yeah, it, no disrespect to Reggie Perry, by the way. Um, but like, for as much as we talk about like they have all these moves, it feels like the two best defenders for big men on this team are like DeAndre Jordan and then Kevin Durant. And I don't know if you want to sign up Kevin Durant for like, the duty of being, I don't know, the second person to throw at Joel Embiid in a playoff series, like the person that you put on Domantas Sabonis in a playoff series, like that feels like it's going to wear him down pretty easily or at the bare minimum, just feels like something you don't want to sign him up for. Um, and at the same time, like, I don't know what big is going to become available at that sort of mid-level exception price point that's going to be able to fix this. Yeah, I mean, I think the this is a great observation, definitely something I've been thinking about, too. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk, especially with Allen now in Cleveland. Um, playing really well in Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, playing very well. But with, you know, Cleveland has a lot of bigs, a lot of centers. Maybe, you know, the Nets could get their hands on a JaVale McGee. But yeah. Even JaVale, I mean, he's an upgrade, I think, defensively over Jordan. Um, you know, Jordan just looks lost out there. I, I really don't know what, at what point this happened with DeAndre Jordan where he became, like, a very, very reliable starting center Yeah. to, like, kind of a liability. This feels like it happened very quickly over the past couple seasons. Um, the funny thing is, like, we got one game against the Bucks where DeAndre kind of played good defense on Giannis, hmm. and it was like, oh, cool, yeah, no, there's like, there's good stuff here. Um, but I, like, at the same time, there's a lot of other tape that doesn't look great with him at center. Yeah, um, I'm just kind of looking at you know the games they've been playing recently in the lineups, and it seems like they're also. You know, kind of changing the starting lineup a bit. Sometimes they got Jeff Green in there. Sometimes they got Bruce Brown in there. I think um, they're they're like in that very figuring it out phase. Yeah. Like for as not worried as Harden, Kyrie, and Durant look, like Harden's tossing the ball backwards between his legs to Kyrie to take threes. But I do think that like there is a lot of figuring it out going on. Yeah. In, right now. Um. There's, you know. I mean, I think a lot of people are probably giving them a little bit too much flack for losing to the Nets, the not the Nets, the Cavs twice, because I do think the Nets are uh, kind of uniquely equipped. <laughs> it's weird saying, I mean, the Cavs are kind of uniquely equipped as like to be a play really good offensive game against a team like the Nets. I also think like, that could just be more about the Cavs than the Nets. Yes, I've seen that take. I do like that take. Um, it's more of a positive Cleveland versus negative Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, however, 
as much as I agree with that, I do think. I mean, look, the first. I mean, I I I, I watched the first uh, Nets Cavs game the other night pretty closely. Um, right. I wouldn't even say that was like a. I mean, they gave up 145 points. It was a it was a pretty bad defensive game. Overtime game too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I this might be a stupid take, but I, I really don't even think that that was really why they lost. They yeah. kind of ended up losing because of like just absurd shot making from Colin Sexton at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, and he was making he made a three while being guarded by Durant, like. <laughs> It wasn't like they had Joe Harris out there on him, and Joe Harris, not to slander him, he's actually not that bad of a defender, but like... Bringing it over like damn near seven foot Kevin Durant is different. Yeah, um, and I don't know, I think, but you make a good point about specifically the points in the paint thing, because, I mean, Cleveland doesn't have like some dominant paint score, um, I mean... Are a you... couple of the teams that the Nets might have to go through in the Eastern Conference playoffs do. Yes, um, and I think that's what's worrying because, like, Cleveland yeah. doesn't have a dominant paint score, but they're kind of able to get to the uh, rim at will in these last two yeah. games. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I – I don't really see what the uh, solution is there because that means that's bad perimeter defense and then you don't have a good big man to – Yeah you know, kind of salvage those bad perimeter defense possessions. Like, Colin Sexton's very good, but, like, if Colin Sexton can slash to the rim at will on you, like, Kemba Walker can do it, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can do it, like, Domas Sabonis can get a shot at the rim. Oh, yeah. Joel Embiid's going to give you fits. Like, it's it's just, like, a little bit of a crack in the armor that we didn't – that, like, I feel like a lot of people kind of did actually see coming when this trade was made. Um and now it's just playing out in front of us. Like, yeah, they're going to have some trouble defending inside. Yeah. I mean... So that's my second observation. No, that's a good one. Also, like, I mean, the switchability of these lineups yeah. isn't that great. I mean, there was, you know, there were some jokes made, I feel like, about the Nets bench in some of these games earlier in the year. But yeah. when you were able to throw out a lineup that had Durant... Jeff Green and Torian Prince. That's those are three guys that can switch for each other. Yeah. On defense, and you can't do that anymore. Um, you can do it with Durant and Green, but after that, it's like I don't even know who else you do it with. I I haven't seen a lot from TLC as a defender. He's playing a lot of minutes right now. Yeah. Um, like is Shamit your next most switchable guy at that point? Is Joe Harris your next most switchable guy? Yeah, Do you good. feel about listing either of them in the top three of anything defensively for your team? You know, it's funny. I honestly think the next guy might be Harden. <laughs> Just because, like, at least Harden has the size and strength. You know, we've, you know, there's been much said about Harden's defense, but the one good I thing there's been a lot said about his size. <laughs> which, to be fair, there has there has been a lot of that too. But the, the one good thing that has been a consistent good thing about his defense ever since he sort of got a little bit better is yeah. he's a pretty good post defender when, yeah. like, a perimeter player is, like, backing him down because he's very, very strong. Um, and that makes me think, like, maybe he could do okay on, like, a... I don't know. A, a Jalen Brown 
I don't. That's. I don't even feel good about saying that. No. Um. I mean, when they are playing. When they've been playing recently, I mean. Yeah. I don't even know how many guys like the the players we trust thing that we did a lot during our season preview. Oh yeah. So after the starting lineup, well, I mean, I'm not even sure we either we even trust DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, like they might not get out of their top five before we're at the do we trust you point. Yeah. Um, Jeff Green oddly trusting right now. Yeah. I kind of trust Jeff Green. He's gonna flip at some point, I'm sure. But yes. he's also probably gonna have a 25 point playoff game, where everyone's like, whoa. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is yeah. This is the pendulum of Jeff Green. Like, if at some point it'll be you can't play Jeff Green, and then like in the next series it'll be they have to play Jeff Green. Yeah. Um. And then and the that's guy, the roller coaster you ride. Yeah. And then the guys you're worried about are like, I don't know, Shamit's not making his three. He's not very valuable out there. No. Um, Reggie Perry, I don't really think I can say enough. Like, I don't know him enough yet. Um. Yeah, Reggie Perry seems to be playing more out of necessity than, yeah. like, actual we want to play Reggie right now. They just have, um, like, no wings anymore. They have a lot of guards. Like, yeah. Because, like, you have the other guys at the end of their bench are Chris Chioza and Tyler Johnson, who are just more guards. I mean, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't – yeah, I, I – yeah, I mean, I think this ultimately ended up being about the Nets' defense in general, and yeah, it's concerning. Um, however, not to bring it back around to the Heat again, but I am very annoyed that the Heat now have to play the Nets tonight, right after the Nets just got killed by the Cavs twice in a row and are probably extra motivated to prove yeah. people wrong that they're actually good. You're playing an angry Nets team, and the Nets did not need to bring Fury into this matchup with the Heat. Yeah. Um, so very frustrated there but yeah that was a good one um any other thoughts on that not really i mean i think i will obviously throw the the hedge that i think we have to throw at every observation we make about the nets i'll throw that on this one which is like i think we got to wait and see a bit like i don't know what big man is going to be available at that mid-level exception price point but i'm sure the nets have more of an idea than i do yeah um, so yeah, I'll, I'll wait and see, but right now it's not looking great. Yeah, now I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, uh, this wouldn't even actually. You know, he's not middle level exception. Some someone that came to mind um, was like Stephen Legend Joakim Noah. No, um, now they're not going to be able to afford him because of his contract, and I'm not sure the Nets can make any money in a trade right now like i <laughs> they've kind of shipped off everyone who was like making in that 8 to 12 million range yeah they are not in a position to absorb much contract um so actually it's probably pointless to bring up but i thought like a steven adams steven adams would be an interesting like buyout candidate but i don't think the pelicans are necessarily looking to buy him out no i think they want to make that work yeah um maybe a I mean, people. A lot of people are saying Drummond, but I'm not sure what problems he solves. I mean, I think he saw like we've talked about the sort of guy who is a big body rebounding guy on this show, where it's just like, yeah, like Stephen Adams, for example, like he's big enough that you have to put someone on him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like Drummond would give them that, but that feels like what Jordan's given them right now. Like Drummond yeah. doesn't really defend at the level that they would need to solve this problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um yeah, I don't want to get too wrapped up into trying to find someone to trade, but now I'm just kind of looking through the league and seeing. I mean, like, gotta give a look at somebody. I, I, he might cost he might cost something, but I mean, we talked about him with um, Brendan Nunez last week, but like a Rashawn Holmes. That's actually an interesting one because that's like, also, that also seems like the kind of big offensively that like Harden could have a field day with. Yeah. You know who would be a really good big to play with James Harden, Tom? Um, have, have you heard of uh, Christian Wood? <laughs> He'd be really good. He can pick and pop. That's it. Playing Christian Wood with James Harden, actually, <laughs> is an interesting idea. Uh, Might be I the best fit for James Harden. Same team. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I think for the Nets also part of it, like obviously they weren't able to figure out these first couple games, but right. eventually I think it's going to be, and I was reminded the other day of an old Mike D'Antoni quote from the late twenty late 2000s Suns, where he said um, something along the lines of, it doesn't matter if the other team scores 115 points if we score 130 He's got a point there. Yeah. So there are some teams you can just outscore. Yeah. Um. I think maybe. I mean, I like. I'll, I'll say. It, I think if it's a matchup against the Heat, you can just outscore the Heat. The Heat. I look. I really like this Miami team, but they're not bringing the most offensive firepower no. into the game. Their their offense is all offense by committee. Like it is not a. You know, it, it occasionally becomes a Jimmy gets his and a Dragic gets his situation, but most yeah. of the time it is an offensive by committee, and that's a hard, that's a tough matchup against a team that can kind of just score every time down on an ISO. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we should probably not be too worried about the Nets, but. It's something to keep in mind. Something to keep in mind. And if they're down 2-0 in a series in April against... Um, I forget, did they win that Bucks game or lose it? They lost it, I believe. Yeah. No, they, they won oh, it. Right. Wait. Yeah, let's, let's check. Because <laughs> I know it was like a two-point game in one of the directions, but I do not remember if they won or lost. They beat the Bucks by two points. Okay. Um, I don't love that. I remember now, Giannis was not guarding Durant down the stretch. Right. That's that's another thing that wasn't one of my observations, but is a minor observation of, like, I think, um, and I've seen some good Twitter threads about this, Coach Bud is trying to galaxy brain too much of this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, maybe just put the defensive player of the year on the best player. Yeah, um, not always put him on an off guy in hopes that there's a pick and roll, so you have a good switching situation. Like, no, like throw your best matchup at them right away. Um, <laughs> I just uh, there was a great piece 
this is kind of getting off. I mean, this is on topic because it's the sure. NBA. Yeah, um, it's observed. There was a very good piece the other day in The Ringer by Jonathan Charks um, that was called something like the Bucks need to start playing Giannis like the Lakers play Anthony Davis. I saw that. Um, and it was specific. A lot of it was um, defensively and yeah. how um, like Anthony Davis guarded Jimmy Butler more in the finals than Giannis guarded Jimmy Butler in the Heat Bucks series, like by a huge margin. Um, and other things like that. I mean, there's a lot of offensive stuff there too. Um, right. where there's some things that Giannis could really work on, like if he had a floater, if he like figured out something for that three foot to ten foot spot that wasn't uh, like a bad jump shot. <laughs> Because, like, I feel like we make a big deal of Giannis developing a jump shot, like a can he hit a three? But there are offensive moves shy of that that could take him a long way. Yeah. Maybe a little spin. Because a lot of his drives wind up looking fairly similar. Yeah. And, you know, you can wall him off pretty easily. We've seen the Heat do it. We've seen every team start doing it. Um, Yeah. I think you sent me this tweet the other day that was like, Giannis is two-time MVP and might not be the top two player anymore. He might not be a top two player in his own conference, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, part of that is because James Harden has moved into his conference and Kevin Durant has looked unbelievable. Um, But, But yeah, if if you're Giannis and you add a floater to your game, like, some of that wall starts coming forward every once in a while. Like, it it opens up sort of like a a north-south space for you. Yeah. That isn't just like trying to drive to the rim with as much force as possible. <laughs> yeah. Like it just it makes it harder to defend in um, general. But yeah, and then on the defensive part of this, it, it 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 really the piece went a lot into um that idea that coach Bud loves playing Giannis in an off-ball scenario because of how good he is as an off-ball defender and in hopes that you get a switch. Yeah. Um so it would be like it would be like almost eliminating a pick and roll option because you don't want Giannis to be switched on you which is a smart idea in theory but it it almost it gets to the point of overthinking things i think obviously we're not as smart as Budenholzer but you watch it enough and you're like i don't know maybe try throwing your best defender out there yeah just like it goes back to the whole like ad guarding someone that you would not expect him to like at some point you're just trusting the best defender on your team to defend really well yeah that's not a losing proposition oh yeah um so what was your next observation Dave? tom my next observation i teased this before is about the utah jazz um just just them generally you make that face is there are they one of your observations they might have been on the list for my third observation yes but continue we can we can discuss this yeah let's discuss it together then um okay so, Tom, the Jazz have won seven straight games. I'm aware. They're 11-4. and four. Shaquille O'Neal does not think they are for real. They're, yeah. Um, they have, like, legitimately distanced themselves from the rest of the conference. It is Lakers, yeah. Clippers, and Jazz. And then there's, like, a three-game gap, and then the Suns. It's, um, yeah. When you look at their rotation, they really only have eight guys, um, which is funny, but it's, like, it's Mitchell, Conley, Royce O'Neal, Bohan, Gobert, Clarkson, Ingles, Favors. That's a good eight guys. Um, 
very clearly defined role for everyone there. Yeah. Um, their starting lineup is uh, the f- the fourth best lineup that's played at least 100 minutes. It's like an absurd, like, plus 17 or something like that. Yeah. Um, they've had good wins this year against uh, the Clippers, Milwaukee. Um, I mean, Cleveland is a good win now, I think. like Yeah, I would argue that's like... It's a win that's good enough that we can't just cast it off. Yeah. Portland, um, the Spurs are good this year. Um, Atlanta, um, Denver, they beat the Pelicans twice now over this week. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I went into that because I was like, is any, are any of these, like, kind of fluky? Are they beating just – have they just, like, played a lot of bad teams? But nope, they have not played a lot of bad teams. No. Um, they played mostly good teams. They did. They do have a Detroit game in there, but like, you know, um, they have five people shooting above forty percent from three. I'm glad you touched on that because my observation with them was also like, they're ta- like every player on that team is taking more than they ever have. Like I'm looking at their three point attempts. Like the percentage of their shots that are coming from three right now. Now, I am not factoring in Rudy Gobert and Derek Favre into this because I think they're the center on a lot of these sets. But Royce O'Neal, Bojan, Ingles, Clarkson, Mitchell, Conley are all averaging or are all hitting career highs in, like, percentage of shots that are being taken from beyond the arc. Mm, Yeah, wow. In, like, a couple of those cases, it's coming at, like, serious cuts – from like the 10 to 25 foot range. Mm-hmm. Like those shots are getting wiped out a lot in the Jazz's offense. It feels kind of reminiscent of like that Fisdale Grizzlies, like that post grit and grind Grizzlies team when it was like, yeah, we brought in Jamichael Green. We brought in like, I think it was just before Chandler Parsons, but it was like, yeah, we're going to try and shoot more. Mm. And it worked really well. Like that feels like what they're doing here but they're not sacrificing anything defensively and they're still doing it under Quinn Snyder. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like the, I mean, the best version of this team that there's been in a while. Yeah. Um, because of that. Now you do have to wonder how consist how like, um, you know, how much you can rely on some of these numbers. Um, yeah. Sp- specifically, I would say Jordan Clarkson, um, who, Clarkson right now is averaging nearly 18 points off the bench on 49, 42, and 96 shooting. I don't think he's going to do that all year. This is like a literally a career year for him. He's yeah. never really gotten close to some of these efficiency numbers. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of part of the way he's been utilized. I think there's a full embracement of him in like a Lou Williams-esque role. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is that he can be surrounded by good defenders out there. Um, I do think this team, if I had to think of things to be worried about with the team, um, they're kind of like one injury away from being in a bad spot. Yes. Like um, 9 through 15 on this team is a, not a lot of playable. Yeah. And I mean, you're a Gobert injury away from being bad, probably. Yes, and I think that's an interesting point to bring up because, like, I was thinking about it this morning because I was rewatching Sixers Celtics from last night, and like Jason Tatum's out because of COVID protocols. Yeah, like how many team? I think 
a lot of teams are one injury away from not being like a championship or even like conference championship contender. Yeah. I think the bigger distinction is how many teams are one injury away from being like abjectly bad. Mm -hmm. And I think the Jazz are one of those teams where like if Rudy goes down, this defensive ship sinks. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's no um, coincidence that like in their four best, their four most used lineups. Yeah. Two of them are have positive ratings. Two of them have negative ratings. The two with positives have Gobert, and the two with negatives have like Favors or George Yang in with no Gobert. Yeah. Like, like Gobert is probably what like the only definitive plus defender they have really. Like, like um, you can say yeah, Joe Ingles gives you something on wings. Like Conley's a smart defender, but like yeah, maybe O'Neal. Maybe Royce O'Neal, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, plus, I'll say he's their only, like, A-plus defender. Yeah. I think they have a lot of slightly above-average defenders. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think... That being said, though, like, I think Gobert yeah. anchors this team in a way that, like, even the Celtics without Tatum last night, just to go back to the example that prompted this, they were still competitive. Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't fall... It wasn't great, but it didn't fall apart without them. Yeah, uh, I I think that's interesting, too, because it's like, you can... You know, I think we've brought this up a couple times now, um, but, you yeah. know, the, that scene in Moneyball when they're trying to recreate um, yeah. Jason Giambi and Johnny Dama, Damon in the aggregate. Yeah. Um, like, there are some teams where you can recreate... Like, the Celtics are a good example because they have yeah. a lot of good wing scorers. You yeah. can recreate Jason Tatum in the aggregate by just, like, Jalen Brown gets more shots, Kemba's yeah. back, um, and you're, you can kind of live with it. It's worse. Yeah. But it's only, a, uh, like, maybe 10% worse. Yeah, like, I think it's harder to create that, uh, like, specifically that elite rim defender yeah. in the aggregate. Whereas, like, you can just kind of pass some shot attempts around and live with shooting a lower percentage. Yeah. Um, um, but I think also, like, in the year where we talk about these health and safety protocols, like, I feel like COVID's going to continue to be a thing that factors into games night yeah. by night. There are going to be players missing games. There are going to be games that are full-on canceled. Yeah. And so as we get into the more, like, as the rubber starts to meet the road a bit on this season – I think it's – I don't want to say it's likely that people get coronavirus, but it's it's not um, – like, it's not like we're in a bubble this year. Yeah, like, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think, like, yeah, there might be a playoff team that has to come into a game and be like, well, our number one scorer is out now, yeah. and we don't know what we're going to do. That's going to be a very interesting thing for the playoffs because it's almost guaranteed to happen. Um, yeah. You can almost bet on every team to just, like – having a two-week period like the Heat have right now where you just have, like, yeah. your top six best player, like, six of your best players out. out. Um, I think every team is going to kind of have something like that. The Sixers already had that. Yeah. Um, the uh, um, the Celtics had are kind of going through a mini version of that right now. Like, yeah, and, they just have Rob Williams back after two weeks. Yeah. I mean, the the... You're going to have a lot of... 
and this feels weird to say when it's a when it's like because it is like a pandemic of a deadly disease but it is kind of a war of attrition like it is like is your team lucky enough to not have five guys out for covid for five straight games yeah and like i think it almost it gets to a point where it's like a little bit i want to be careful about how i word this because obviously again it's the pandemic deadly lung disease like this is a subject that's bigger than basketball, but we're talking about it in the context of basketball. Like it almost starts to be a little bit unfair to players and coaches who are coming out. And like, obviously the bubble wasn't like the best quality of life for the people in it. Um, But like when you're asking players and coaches to basically roll with the punches of, yeah, your top two scorers aren't in there tonight. Or yeah, your best defender's not in there tonight. Yeah. Or, like, because ownership and the league are insisting that we continue this season amid yeah. these conditions with what seem to be ineffective health and safety protocols in place. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's, with, it's a lot to ask. It is a lot to ask. And I think, you know, bringing this back around with that in mind, it does mean that some of these teams that might not go super deep are you know kind of worrisome because in a regular year this jazz eight-man rotation mm-hmm. is like i mean that's already their playoff rotation like yeah. is any do we think anything's changing do we think anyone is emerging from no. this like last five guys on the jazz bench who i have genuinely not heard of like in the in a normal season they're the 2015 hawks hmm. it's like yeah you know what like our top eight are solid yeah like, it might not be one person playing at an MVP level, but our unit is going to handle shit. Yeah. Um, and actually, I don't know, as we talk about the like sort of inevitability of teams missing guys going forward, I think it winds up, as you look to the playoffs, it like being best equipped to handle that almost becomes a question of, like, who has just the most peak talent here? Because, yeah. like, yeah players are going to go down but like if it's not your number one you still have a chance in a lot of these cases mm-hmm. and like that feels odd to say but like if you look at it like if the nets lose i don't know like landry shamit uh chris chioza like a few bench players you could still roll kevin durant and james harden out there and probably be mostly okay yeah like it just it becomes almost like a weird question of just who has the most elite talent that'll still be available yeah it also becomes an interesting scenario of like this could be a year where seeding matters less than ever one because a team could just have could be so poorly hit by covid um and injuries that they are the seventh seed um i am not talking about any specific team here of course but maybe they end up as the sixth or the seventh seed um, and are able to, you know, get a first-round matchup against, for example, the Celtics. Yeah. Um, and then also we have the whole thing that has been well documented at this point that home court has home court advantage has not mattered at all this year. Yeah. There's yeah. no fans, so the like the home court teams. I think I don't know what the exact number is, but the home court teams are losing at a higher rate this year than like ever in NBA history. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's nobody there. No more home court advantage and seating might be a little odd in general just because some teams might fall further 
um, than you'd expect them to. Or some teams might just get higher up in the seating because none of their guys get COVID throughout the year. Yeah. Like it's it's going to be very weird to see what this playoff season looks like because it is going to be so at the mercy of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, I think just to bring us back around to the Jazz, um, what what are you thinking about um, Donovan Mitchell so far this year? I like him. Like I think I don't know. I think we have a lot of fun laughing at Donovan Mitchell. Um, I'm not exactly sure where that originated, but I know there was a lot. There's been a lot of talk about how he like shoots a bit too much for how much he scores. Like he's not the most efficient shooter in the world. Yeah. Um, but you can still be a damn good player without being like ruthlessly efficient. And I think he's a walking example of that. Yeah. And I think like he's one of those ones that's taking more threes than ever. He's cutting out a lot of those long twos. And we saw it last year in that Nuggets series. Like, he gives them that player who, when the game slows down late in a playoff setting, can be the guy on the ball every time down the court. And yeah. he can rely on to create a shot, whether it's for him or collapsing a defense and getting someone else open. Yeah. Which is something that not every team has. I agree. Um, a team like this is important. Yeah. I mean, I think what Mitchell did in the playoffs last year is enough to not really worry about some maybe minor struggles he has to start the year. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I think there's been a lot said about how, like, Mitchell hasn't really improved that much, and that is kind of true. But as you said, he has, like, you know, cut out some of those shots. He is yeah. cutting out some of the less efficient shots. He's shooting more from three and somehow being shooting more efficiently from three while doing it. Um, and I don't think anyone should bring up like assist numbers or anything because if you watch the jazz like everyone's getting a couple assists every night that's just the way they play yeah they don't play with like a constant lead ball handler it's just like it's i was looking all some situation yeah i was looking this up they are um so i mean i'm pretty sure this is how they've been the last few years they're second most in pick and roll possessions in the league not surprising oh. um fifth in handoffs and sixth in off-ball screens. And, you know, you watch them play, and it is just like, we're going to keep passing it, keep cutting until we find the best shot. It's very reminiscent of, like, the way the Heat were playing in the playoffs when they were really on fire. They, I think Snyder and Spo run, like, somewhat similar types of offenses, despite the Heat play a little less pick-and-roll. Yeah. Uh, but with the handoffs, the off-ball screens, and the cutting... I think they're kind of analogous in that way. And, uh, yeah, so that's why I don't think those assist numbers should be worrying because no one's getting a lot of assists in the team. No, yeah, it's it's like individual assist totals are not what you need to be looking at with this team in this yeah. system. Um, I will say one con slightly concerning thing. Obviously, these numbers are a little skewed. It's the early season. You don't want to read too much into them. But the best on-off numbers on the team, Tom, who, do you want to guess who the two players are? Best on-off numbers on the Jazz. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of them has to be Rudy, right? Yes. Rudy's second. Is the first Royce? No. Is it... Is it one of those eight? It is one of those eight. Okay. I'm going to guess it's Jordan Clarkson then. No, it's, it's Mike Conley. 
Um, huh. I thought it was okay. very surprising. So far, on-off yeah. numbers, Mike Conley's at plus 21. Um, Gobert's at plus 16. My God. Um, and then here's the concerning one. And again, I want to put the caveat in of like early season. This could change in two weeks. Um, of course. Mitchell's at minus three and a half, um, which makes me think like maybe it's just because if Mitchell leaves, they might be subbing him in, subbing Conley in for him. They might be yeah. subbing Jordan Clarkson in for him. Both guys who are very capable of playing the same position. Yeah. Um, so it makes me think like, eh, you know. Whereas Rudy like, Gobert, you sub him out, and it's like, all right, we got Derek Favors in now. Yeah. Derek Favors is a good player, but he's not Rudy Gobert, especially defensively. Yeah, so I think that, you know, if it it's... back if, to that recreating in the aggregate thing. Yeah. So if, um, if uh, he is at this at the end of the season, it'll be a little bit concerned. Um, yeah. But I'm not that worried right now. I think... The only thing I'm worried about with this team is are these three point percentages. <laughs> that feels like something that could come crashing down to earth. Yeah, relatively quickly. Especially Conley. Conley was really bad last year from three. Yeah, Mike um, Conley had a down year last year from everywhere. Really. Yeah. So maybe it makes sense that he's kind of coming back to earth this year. Right. But I mean, I don't know. Last year I thought like, okay, he's just you know, Mike Conley's getting old. You know. Yeah. I should say he didn't have that bad of a year. He actually shot 37%. I think it was just the first half of the year where he was shooting like 20%. Um, mm. But yeah. Jazz look great. They are literally like one of the you know five best teams in the league right now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's pretty much, I, I want to say this is one of the teams we were kind of on with our p- predictions. Yes and no. Um, Did we say something no. negative? I think I thought they were going to st- – like, I thought they had kind of stagnated. Oh, true. Yeah. Out of it. Like, I thought we had seen the best version of this core of the Jazz that we were going to see. Yeah. Um, so I'll put my hand up and be like, yeah, you know what? I did not see this coming. But to their credit, like, they've kind of tweaked a little bit how they're playing, and it's working really well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. But at the same time, we did kind of call, like – one team from that Denver, Portland, Utah. Um, why am I blanking on like the fourth team that was in that class of team? Um, Denver, Dallas? Yeah. Like Denver, Portland, Utah, Dallas. One of them was going to kind of nudge out in front of the pack a bit. And right now it's Utah. Yeah. And it's the what? consistency. All right. We're back. Um, final observation now. Um, sort of a theme of my picks today was definitely like some players and teams I thought maybe over the off season got didn't get some of the love that they deserved or you know maybe got a little chip on their shoulder and have proven a lot of the haters wrong as you might say <laughs> um Tom today I'm I'm this last pick I'm talking about Gordon Hayward only about him because um, I have not watched enough Gordon Hayward. Um, so, Gordon is averaging more points than he has in his entire career. He's averaging 23 points a game, uh, five boards, four assists. His efficiency numbers are a real 50, 40, 90 right now. Um, 
which are numbers he has you know he he's kind of hit the 50 percent field goal mark a couple times right 40 percent on three more rarely he's generally an eight low 80s free throw shooter um mm-hmm. but this year he's in the 90s um he has pretty much given the keys to this Charlotte offense um, and has an interesting situation with him and LaMelo there where, you know, LaMelo gets the keys when he's in, but even yep. more recently, LaMelo has like, I don't know, I feel like the, the, the train on LaMelo is just keeps like starting and stopping it's a constantly like evolving situation of like LaMelo is going to be awesome or LaMelo has a lot to work on. Yeah. Um, which has ultimately resulted in like LaMelo is inconsistent because he's what, 19 years old. Yeah. Um, I think last night, I believe they played last night or the night before. Um, LaMelo only played like 20, not 22 minutes in the second half, um, causing some causes for concern about whether you know yeah, coach James Borrego really trusts him in important minutes anymore but besides that we have Gordon Hayward averaging you know the best numbers he has pretty much in his whole career um, despite being this main guy I mean yeah. you'd think that maybe these efficiency numbers were going would go down he was very efficient last year in Boston but you know a lot of his shots were Shots, you know, he was getting passed to from Tatum, from Brown, yeah. um, things yeah. like that. wasn't getting, wasn't creating as much. Um, in terms of the creating, just wanted to get this up. Um, this is interesting because I think you'd expect um, that, and this kind of goes against what I was just saying. So let's uh, cut that out. <laughs> um, but. You see uh, Hayward on this Charlotte team, and you'd think that he is initiating the offense. He is driving. He is setting up pick and rolls. Um, he is creating his own shots, and he is. But you'd be surprised to know his field goal attempts assist percentage. He His three-point attempts, he's getting assisted on 93% of them compared to 83% last year. Huh. And his two point uh, percent, uh, two point shot percentage, sixty two percent this year, assisted versus forty nine percent last year. So what we're actually kind of seeing here is a Hayward that is playing well within the offense, yeah, of this Hornet system. Um, Hornet, the Hornets play with a lot of ball movement. They're constantly passing it. Um, a lot of moving around off ball. Um, you know, it's this joke, I think, that with a lot of the Spurs uh, coaches, those former Spurs coaches kind of play like pop. But you look around the league and you see Coach Bud. Yeah. You know, similar kinds of offenses. And I think more than anything, you see this James Borrego offense with the Hornets where he is trying to recreate, you know, the quote-unquote like beautiful game of the 2014 Spurs <laughs> with this Hornets roster. Um, maybe it's not the best roster to be playing that with. Um, you need a couple yeah, more. Trying to sub in Gordon Hayward for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Um, yeah. You probably need a couple more good shooters. 
on the team to really get that going. But what you have is a lot of willing passers. Yeah. And Hayward yeah. is thriving in the system. I was honestly shocked when I saw that he is like created his own shot more in Boston than he is in uh, Charlotte right now. But when you think back to the way he was used in Boston, there were a lot of times where, you know, maybe Tatum's out, Brown's out, and it's just uh, Hayward and Kemba or Hayward and Brown yeah. or something. And, he was getting and, run with bench units. Yeah. So when you think about it like that, it makes sense. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I didn't do as much of a deep dive with Hayward as I did with um, uh, Grant there. I mean, a lot of his numbers are pretty similar to last year um, in terms of where he's shooting the ball from. Right. You know, he is just uh, getting a little bit better at that mid-range game. It looks like his field goal percentage on mid-range shots was 49% last year. So far this year, it's 56%. Um, so that's a nice little development for him. Um, he is shooting a, a pretty absurd 63% on corner threes. Good. Kevin Knox numbers. <laughs> um, and ultimately has a plus three on off rating uh, on the team. Um, I bring this up. Uh, again, I'm sorry this isn't the most in-depth analysis here, but Hayward is another guy who this offseason got a lot of slander for how could Charlotte possibly think Hayward is worth this money. Right. Um, but, you know, you look at his numbers in Boston last year, and when he was playing well, he was playing efficient, he was shooting good shots, and he was playing well within himself. And he's doing that again. I mean, he's a smart player. Um, and I don't think he was worthy of that kind of hate over the summer. Um, again, this is a similar situation to the Pistons and Grant, where like it's not like he's creating a lot of winning for them. Yeah. Um, they're not winning. They're 6-9 and nine right now. Um, still trying to figure out this weird situation where they have Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, um, and LaMelo Ball, and Malik Monk. Yeah. That's a crowded uh, backcourt. Yeah, very crowded. Um, you've seen some nice um, strides, I think, from P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges. And I think Cody Zeller is coming back in the next day or two um, to really kind of round out that lineup. And what you've created... Well, created Zeller will definitely kick them into high gear. I mean, it's better than a Biombo, I think. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, because... You joke about the Zeller bros. Yeah, I mean, Cody is at least, a, I'd say, you know, slightly above average uh, center in this league at this point. Yeah. Um, I like these lineups that they're putting out sometimes when they have Bridges and Washington and Hayward and LaMelo and Biombo. Yeah. Um, just kind of an absurd level of athleticism and a bunch of willing passers Yeah. Um, where you can just kind of do a lot of fun things. Um and, you know, Hayward's kind of making up for the very disappointing year that Devontae Graham's having so far. Um, so I think it's good. there are things to look forward to in Charlotte. You have a guy who, you know, theoretically, I'd have to really look at it, look at the forward spot, theoretically could be an all-star this year. Um, and, yeah, I'm just happy for Hayward that he's uh, kind of figuring it out, um, is able to play on a team that's using him to his like best strengths and yeah i, I mean so we should go through and kind of try and predict who will be the all-stars 
Yes. Because it's going to be weird in the East this yeah. year. Yeah, it's very like, odd. In an off-camera, or like in a post-episode discussion a few episodes ago, we were talking about it, and I think we had like Jimmy and Bam kind of penciled in. But at this point in time, like, I don't know if you can really pencil them in anymore. Jimmy, Jimmy, you can't pencil in. He's missed too many games. Like, yeah. I think um, that's going to, I think Jimmy will figure it out once he gets back. And I think a Jimmy Butler who's had to sit on the sidelines, I mean, he's not on the sidelines, but who's had to watch this team be play very poorly for the last yeah. two weeks um, is going to come back very aggressive. Um, but yeah, he's missed too many games. Uh, Bam, hard to say. Yeah, he's kind of. Yeah, it's like I said, it's a discussion we can put in the down the road file. But yeah, but Hayward should be in the discussion. Um, I would agree. Yeah, he uh, he's a bright spot on this Hornets team that is really trying to figure out their future. Um, you know, we talk a lot about rebuilding on this show, how to do it correctly, um, what, you know, why championship or bust is so depressing, why, like, eighth seed or bust can kind of get you into this, like, horrible limbo. Yeah. Um, there's so... There's no right way to rebuild. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the Hornets are going to do it the right way right now. We'll have to wait a couple of years to really find out. But... There's not yeah. nothing there right now. There's not nothing. You have good vets um, and good young players that are figuring things out. And right. I wouldn't be surprised if at one point this team is able to figure out a like few-game win streak. They already had a four-game win streak this year. Um, problem is is that was followed with four-game losing streak. Um, yeah, that feels nixy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, that's kind of all I had on Hayward and the Hornets. Um, you got anything? No, I think that about wraps up for our, our three observations episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Um, we have some exciting stuff coming up down the pipeline, some new episodes, ideas, oh. some new segments, um, some new guests. It's like Hornets with a Zeller coming back. The Tom and Dave show is going to kick into hyperdrive soon. Yes, <laughs> they really are. Um, that's what everyone's saying about us. Everyone's comparing us to Zeller. Um, <laughs> the Cody Zeller of NBA shows. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks for watching everyone and have a good one. All right. Peace out.